This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Hey guys, how are we? Arnaldo here and I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Church and uh, I lead with my wife, uh, Catherine, uh, the Southwest launch team. And I'm so excited uh, that you have chosen to dial in with us this morning and it's such a pleasure that you can join with our virtual community. And if this is your first time here over to uh, this side over here, you can chat with us. One of our hosts uh, will make you feel welcome in our virtual community. Uh, And also there are links everywhere around where you can connect with us in other ways. And just so you know that at the end of our service today, there's gonna be a chance for you to join in on a Zoom virtual uh, tea time with us, uh, a morning tea with us. And so I encourage you to stick around for that. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know where you're from, where you're dialing in from. Uh, yeah, we, we're just over the moon that you, you have chosen to be with us this morning. Now, we are starting a six-week series in the Lord's Prayer today, and I'm extremely excited to open this up and, and frame this series for us because Matt, our lead pastor, and I will be walking through very slowly uh, the Lord's Prayer and we, we hope, our prayer is that this would really shape our life and really shape every facet of our lives. But I wonder, I wonder what comes to mind when you think about the Lord's Prayer. Maybe this is something you grew up with. Maybe your mind wanders to incense or uh, rosary beads or just rote learning, um, psalmity. You know, for others, uh, this could evoke feelings of, of boredom or monotony. Uh, You may have grown up reciting the Lord's Prayer, the the Our Father, before bedtime or or at other times. Uh, And maybe it's as exciting for you as it is reading, I don't know, know, the ingredients on your shampoo bottle. I'm not sure where you're at, but our hope is that as we spend some time slowly working through the Lord's Prayer, it would slowly, it would deconstruct our preconceived notions and, and make its home lodge itself into our imagination. Now, anything, you know, but boring. Uh, Frank Labauk, he was a missionary uh, to the Philippines in the 20th century. He wrote this about the Lord's Prayer. Let me read this out for us. The Lord's Prayer is the most used and least understood of prayers. People think that they're asking God for something. They're not. They are offering God something. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer for God to do something we want done. It is more nearly God's prayer to us to help him do what he wants done. The Lord's prayer is not intercession, it is, listen, enlistment. And I love that, enlistment. It's not about getting us into the kingdom of God, uh, but more truly, it's about getting the kingdom of God into us and then out into the world. And that's why I'm so excited that, so excited that we get to spend, uh, you know, the next six weeks here. And basically, listen, these are fighting words. Words that equip us to fight our proclivity to give our hearts to lesser things. Words that fight injustice and the vandalism of God's shalom. That's his peace, his plan for the world to flourish. Words that fight greed, both in our hearts and in big corporations. Words that fight the dysfunction in our relationships. Words that fight both personal and systemic evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I am excited to see how the next uh, month and a half, several weeks, shapes our community and our witness. 
But before we jump in, I want to give you some broad reasons, some, some rationale. What, what is pumping through our imaginations and our blood as we sat down as a leadership team to think, okay, what do our people need? And, and they really boil down to, to two reasons. One is this, that the church moves forward on its knees. We have said this from the beginning before we planted this church six years ago. We will say it till kingdom come that the, the, the picture that the scriptures give us about the church is not so much that it moves forward from the boardroom. And of course, Paul had a strategy. Of course, uh, Jesus even had a strategy about who he was and what he would do. Uh, but his life and, and Paul's mission and the mission of the church moved forward, not from the boardroom, but from the prayer closet. The church moves forward on its knees. And Jesus tells us that uh, we can do nothing apart from him, John 15, 5 says. And the way that we uh, do that, the way we abide with him primarily is through prayer. It's so clear in scripture, in the life of Jesus, in our own experience, in, in the, the history of the church that goes before, you know, behind us, that the church is always had prayer as the lifeblood of this community. And during such a time as this, especially during such a time as this, there is no greater need for us. There is absolutely no greater need than to learn how to pray, to abide, to lean into our collective identity as the people of God, as a praying people. So the church moves forward on its knees. But secondly, we want to see a community of people whose entire days and hours and minutes are bathed in prayer. You see, setting specific times throughout the day to visit with God is indispensable to experiencing him and practicing the presence of God moment by moment. They go together. It's a lot like a deep relationship. And throughout the scriptures, the relationship between the people of God and God is cast in light and shadow of, of a marriage. Now, I've been married to Catherine for 13 years now, over 13 years. Now, I want you to imagine two scenarios. One is that we only have DNMs, right? And I don't know if you know what a DNM is. A DNM is a deep and meaningful. Now, a deep and meaningful, those are the conversations that go way too late into the night. Uh, um, and we share our dreams, our values, our plans, our goals, our hopes in, un in, in uninterrupted and extended time. They're deep and they're meaningful. And they end up being the most transformative moment of our marriage and our life together. But imagine if that's all we did. Imagine if we didn't speak to one another throughout the day. Imagine if we didn't communicate throughout the day and we just lived parallel lives except for the few moments where we can get together and have a DNM. Imagine if we didn't argue about whose turn it was to put the kids to bed tonight. Imagine if we didn't argue about who, whose turn it was to do the dishes or to walk the dog or how to spend our money or just be with one another, the banter. And I, I couldn't imagine a life where Catherine and I didn't constantly send each other memes and gifts throughout the day, where we weren't constantly communicating. And so we need both. We need both deep and meaningfuls and we need the day by day, moment by moment communication because you know, we need both to really deepen 
our relationship. And this happens with friendships as well. You, you may have a friend who may only text you when they need something uh, and we feel used in that way. And so often we use prayer sort of just to text God when we need something, but he wants more for us. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to visit with him. He wants us to make a cup of tea and a cup of coffee and just hang out with him. And so we need both to spend unhurried friendship time with God in prayer and, and asking him for the things that we need. Simply put, let me put it to you like this. That if we want to progress in the journey of faith, we need to set regular rhythms of spending uninterrupted time in the presence of God, as well as allowing that time then to shape the rest of your days, your hours, your minutes, as you invite the Holy Spirit to wake you up to the reality that he is always present and he's always waiting for us. And he asks us to become aware of his presence. John Calvin, the great reformer, uh, would say that all of our life is lived quorum Deo. Quorum Deo. And that, that means that all of our life is before the presence of God. And even David in the Old Testament, uh, the, the first great king of Israel writes this. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, which was a picture of uncontrollable chaos, you're there. Even there your hand shall hold me, he says. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is, a, is light to you. And so we're not inviting God into our space. He's already there. And we are invited through prayer to awaken to his majesty, to his beauty, to have every moment of our lives bathed in prayer. And we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would make this so. So today I'll be framing the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to be looking at Matthew 6, uh, verses eight, uh, 5 to 8. So Matthew 6, 5 to 8. Now to the side, you'll see a tab there uh, with an option to view the Bible there. I invite you to open the scriptures, but they will also be on the screen. So there are many ways that we can engage with the text. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the text. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump right in. Help me to pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are not bound to a building. We thank you that even as uh, this pandemic has sent us into our homes, you are setting up churches in homes all across this city and across this world. Help us to realize that you are here with us right now. So help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful and help me to remember the things that will be helpful for your people. Draw people near, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let me read you the text. And when you pray, Jesus says, this is Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before 
you ask him. And so let me uh, help us frame the moment here because the question for us as we explore the Lord's Prayer uh, line by line is, what is Jesus doing here? What, what is happening here? In order to understand the Lord's Prayer, we need to understand the context of the Lord's Prayer, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And very quickly, the Sermon on the Mount is this. It's Jesus, the God-man, calling a people together calling a a new people together in the same way that Moses was calling a people together in the desert. Jesus is calling a people together that they would live under the lordship and beauty and glory of God. He is creating a community, a people for himself that he can again rule through and dwell with. And Jesus, in these words, in this prayer, is sparking a revolution that gives us language to join him as he renews all things in pushing back the darkness, in partnering with God to undo the effects of everything that sin has ravished. This, in essence, listen, this equips us to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. And this prayer touches every facet, every crevice of our lives. Frederick Dale Bruner, great uh, theologian and uh, commentator, he says this about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer stretched from the Father at the beginning to the devil at the end, from heaven to hell, and in between six brief petitions, everything important in life. And so to understand and appropriate the Lord's Prayer is to understand what what Jesus is doing. He is creating a new community and he's giving us language to commune with God. That that our lives, that our, 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 our minds, our imaginations would again go with the grain of the universe. And this is good news for us. This is good news. So let's jump in to the text first. Uh, the first couple verses, Jesus, uh, what he does is something that I often do with my kids. If I am teaching my kids a new skill, I often will show them what not to do first, right? Uh, I don't know if you do that, but uh, that's an often helpful tool to get someone on the right track. Let me show you what not to do uh, before I show you what to do. And Jesus does something similar here. He gives us two things, two ways, two postures of our hearts as to how not to pray first. So let me just, uh, again, revisit with you here. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And see, Jesus knows the posture of our hearts, and that's why he he warns us. And it's important that we give attention to our interior life and our motives when we pray. That that is, uh, we pray and we pay attention to our posture of our hearts before we engage in the practice of words. And I want us to notice a couple things from those couple verses. One, Jesus assumes that we're going to pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. He doesn't cajole us to pray. He doesn't shame us into prayer. He says, when you pray, this is an assumption. And for Paul, for Jesus, for James, for all the writers of all the scriptures, uh, they're assuming we're going to pray. This is the air of the Christian. And in fact, a non-praying Christian is is an oxymoron. And so the first thing we notice is that uh, Jesus assumes we will pray. The second thing we notice here is that our hearts are glory hungry. 
Our hearts are glory hungry. We have been made to be seen, to be known, to be loved. That is so core to who we are as humans. But so often in church, uh, in churches, what, what happens is those desires are suppressed or, or, or seen as uh, fleshly. But the problem is not that we have this desire. The problem is that we often seek to meet this desire in a way that dishonors God, dishonors ourselves, and ultimately that just leads to futility. The problem isn't the desire that we have, it's in the wrong ways that we go about meeting those, those desires. And here what we see is that there's a misplaced worship. There's a misplaced worship. And, and you may be sitting there saying, well, thank God or thank the heavens that I don't worship. We all worship. We all uh, gain an identity from somewhere. We all have something that if it was taken away from us, if it was ripped from our hands, from our lives, we would feel that we have lost our souls and our being for, our reason for being. And so we all worship. The, the only choice we get is what we worship because we all gain an identity from something. So it's not a matter of do we worship, it's what we worship. And here Jesus is telling us that we can even use prayer, something that is designed to help us commune with God, to help us be with him, to cultivate our friendship with him, to ask him for the things of life, that we can even use that as a way to build our identity, as a way to make ourselves look good. And this word that he uses there, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites in verse 5. That, that word hypocrite, it, it comes from the theater. And it was someone who would literally wear a mask, who was a play actor, who was pretending. And one of the ways that we can use prayer in a wrong way is by play acting. And the, heart, the posture of our hearts is to get the attention of others. And so we'll use these prayers to impress other people with our language or the length of our prayers or the weight of our prayers. And Jesus is saying that is not the way of the kingdom. And Jesus wants our practice and our posture to be integrated. He understands that we've been created with eternity in our hearts, like the book of Ecclesiastes says. He knows, like the book of Psalms says, he, he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we were made to be seen, to be known, to be loved. And he doesn't give us that desire without intending to satisfy it. In fact, in the Psalms, Psalm 1611 says that at the right hand of God are pleasures forever. More And what Jesus is, is doing here, and what he will do here, is that you pray not for others, not for the sake of others, not, not to be impressive to others, but that you would pray to an audience of one. Because he knows there's a deep, deep, eternal and existential ache to be seen, to be known, to be loved. And it's found in being seen, known and loved by the God of the universe in secret. And he says, by being known by God in secret, by being loved by God in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus shows us one way we should pray, and that's for the praise of others. But there's another way that we shouldn't pray. There's another way that we can actually use prayer, not to manipulate people to think, to think good thoughts of us, but actually we, we pray to try to manipulate God to think good thoughts of us. He says this in verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
And again, Jesus is reiterating, he's expecting us to pray. But if the first way of praying, of, of the wrong way of praying, tries to manipulate people, this way tries to manipulate God. And there's a story in the Old Testament found uh, about the prophet Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. It's found in 1 Kings 18, 20 to 40. And the, the story goes like this. Elijah is battling with 450 prophets of the false god Baal. And, and they're going at it and uh, they are both uh, saying that, you know, we serve the one true God. And Elijah begins to mock them uh, because what these prophets are doing, the prophets of Baal, what they're doing is that they're going around in circles from noon till, from morning rather, through noon till nighttime. They're cutting themselves. They're limping around the altar, tired, and there's no answer. There's absolutely no answer. And what they're doing is, what they're trying to do is that they're trying to manipulate this false god Baal to answer them. And I wonder if this story was in the mind of the hearers of these original words when Jesus spoke them saying, do not be like the Gentiles. Do not be like the pagans, other translations say. Do not try to manipulate God to look at you. True prayer, Spurgeon says, is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer than a fine oration of great length. And so we don't try to manipulate others into thinking well of us. We don't try to uh, use a fine oration, try to manipulate God with our many words to get God to look at us. And this is the key. Verse 8 is the key for us. How do we pray? How do we posture our hearts? What needs to be true in order for us to inhabit this prayer and have this, this prayer inhabit us and reshape our imagination and reshape our rhythms and our calendars and our, our whole life. This needs to be true. Do not be like them, he says in verse eight, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That is amazing. Now, uh, your father knows. Next week, Matt's gonna work through why calling God father is so explosive and so beautiful. So I'm not gonna steal his thunder, but let's notice a couple things here. One is that he knows what you need. He is your father. And because he knows what you need, maybe you're asking now, what's the point of prayer? If God already knows what we need, what is the point of even praying for things? And I feel that this is where our theology and practice of prayer betrays us. If we think, if we think that prayer is simply about asking God for things, then we've largely missed the and this whole prayer, the second half, will show us how to ask for things. Asking for things is right and true. But if we feel that is the only reason why we should pray, just to ask for something, we have largely missed the point of the most formative practice that we can engage in. Uh, you know, we often think that prayer is something we do to, to twist God's arm and getting him to act right toward us. But as A.W. Tozer reminds us so beautifully, prayer is not an assault upon the reluctance of God. I love that. Prayer is not an assault on the reluctance of God. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. And he's calling us to commune with him, to be with him. In fact, the scriptures say that he calls us friend, right? The God of the universe, the God who Isaiah 40 says holds the span of the universe uh, in his hand, that he holds all the waters of the world in, in, in his palm. He calls us friend. 
Because prayer is not primarily a laundry list to give to God. It's an embodied practice that we enter into with our whole selves in community to be formed into the image of Christ. Prayer is an embodied practice, I wanna say this again, that we enter into with our whole selves. Why? In order to be formed into the image of Christ, in order to be equipped to love others well, in order to be on about God's mission, in order to fight injustice, in order to fight evil. And this is why I'm so excited to spend the next month and a half with you through the Lord's Prayer. It is enlistment. Enlistment to a call to die to lesser things, to anemic visions of what the good life is, to wake up to reality, to wake up to divine love. The Lord's Prayer is like smelling salt. And I'm I'm just over the moon that we get to do this. Of course, we ask God for things in prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, again, gives us a paradigm for what that looks like. But it's not to update God on our needs. It's not to fill him in on what's been going on in our life. It is to be with him, to commune with him. And so we don't pray to manipulate others to see us, to see us, to know us, to love us. We don't use prayer to manipulate God to know us, to see us, to love us. We don't pray in order to be loved. We pray because we already are. We pray because we already are. Maybe you're listening to this and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning. Maybe you have been uh, living for the praise of others. Maybe you, you, you've heard some things and they resounded with your experience. Oh, or maybe you've tried your hand at religion and you've tried to justify yourself, make yourself right by your own strength. This time, what it has done is it it, it has exposed the illusion that we are captains of our souls, masters of our fates. And this has melted away in recent days and weeks, and it's making a lot of us feel vulnerable and exposed. And that, believe it or not, is a gift. Because it serves, again, like I said, as smelling salt. It it wakes us up to ourselves. It wakes us up to things that are real in this world, to things of depth in our life. It has caused us to ask questions. Maybe it's caused you to ask questions you never have asked before or haven't asked in a long time. Questions about meaning and purpose and hope and death, pain, life, what really matters. And so what hope is there in the world? Let me give you some good news. The good news is that the God who created all things good, the God who created humanity, the God who created you so that he can dwell with us and reign through us is not far from us. Even as we experience pain and grief and abandonment, there is a God who wasn't content to just let us go, but who entered human history 2,000 years ago, who through his sinless life and his substitutionary death, which is a way of saying he died in our place. He was a substitute for us. And because he was raised bodily to life in three days and is reigning in heaven at the right hand of power and is no longer dead, but living as the king of the universe. Listen, because of this, we get to participate in God's life. Because of this, I can with full Clear conscience, offer you wherever you are, whatever you have done in your life, I can offer you with clear conscience the reality that he is calling you now to enter into his life, to participate with him 
in life and not death. And we call this salvation. And when we turn away from the ways and the things uh, that have not delivered their promise, when we turn away from trying to save ourselves through whether it's our good looks or our bank account or uh, whatever is in our super or what we're driving or who we're married to as ways to convince ourselves that we're okay, when we, when we turn from those things and we, we turn to Christ, we're saved from ourselves, from sin, from death, from hell. And the Bible tells us this. It promises us this, that if we believe with our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That we become sons and daughters of the King. And I want to give you an opportunity to do this this morning. I I encourage you to connect with our pastors, our staff, our team here. And let us know. Maybe this is the first time that you have committed yourself to Jesus. Maybe uh, you're still trying to figure out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. We want to help. We want to be there for you as a community. And maybe you're ready to do this now. And I I feel led to to lead you in a a short prayer. uh, and And then we'll wrap up. So if you're here and you are wanting to give your life to Jesus today, uh, Again, we've learned that that prayer is not about the length of our words, but the weight of our words, that we posture our hearts towards God. And so let me me lead you in a a simple prayer uh, to begin your new life with Jesus. And you can pray like this. Jesus, I thank you for creating me. I thank you that you are near. I thank you that in this time you have woken me up to your beauty and your holiness and your grace. Forgive me for the things I've done and help me to live the rest of my days for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And we believe here that if you pray that prayer for the first time, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we wanna celebrate with you. And so if you prayed that this morning, uh, please let us know. We would love to, if it even means sending you a physical copy of the Bible, however way that we can uh, um, help you to grow in your new faith, we want to be there. But if you still have more questions, if you're still not sure, uh, I'd love to invite you to our Alpha course, which is uh, in its third week this Thursday. It's not too late. Even uh, as you have missed the first two weeks, I can send that material to you. I'd love to invite you into a space where you can engage with the truth of who Jesus is. And so let me pray. Uh, I'll wrap up for us in prayer and then we're gonna sing together. Uh, We are going to have communion in our homes together. And I invite you to enter into this time uh, joyfully uh, as we uh, look forward to what it looks like to have the Lord's Prayer be embodied in our life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you that you are near. We thank you that you are are here with us even now as we pray. I pray pray now that as we sing together that you would inhabit the praises of your people. That, That they would raise up to you, Lord, as our prayers do, as incense as an uh, an offering of praise because you are good, because you are beautiful, because you are holy, because you are gracious. And so we thank you for all the things that you have done for us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week, family.